And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 275 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages for the latest updates on Facebook and Twitter slash X. Uh, Great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, Obviously got a lot to get to. Football is back. There's finally games to break down, games that matter. So looking forward to that, as you may have noticed on the uh, social updates earlier. i got a great guest for you guys this week uh, coming to talk Bruins. This is a uh, guest that's been uh, in the works for a long time. So uh, really excited to bring you guys uh, that episode later uh, this week. Is you know, it's about that time. You know, Bruins uh, training camp will start. Uh, a week a week from Wednesday, uh, Bruins have their uh, annual prospect challenge uh, that actually will start on Friday. So some of the Bruins' young prospects will be participating um, in that challenge this weekend. And then training camp starts next Wednesday. So it's going to be uh, a lot of Bruins stuff, if you, can, uh, if you can believe it. So looking forward to that later this week uh, with our guest. So I think without further ado, we'll get right into it, get right into what I think uh, everyone wants to talk about uh, this morning is the uh, Patriots and Eagles game uh, from yesterday. Eagles with the win, 25 to 20. Um, You know, it was funny, you know, paying attention to the game throughout and, you know, starting to think, oh, okay, you know, this score looks and feels very similar to, you know, what I had thought the the score would be. You know, the game kind of went similar to how I thought it would. You know, I think that there were some parts that didn't really go the way that I thought it would, but I think the overall takeaway, um, it's probably not going to surprise too many people who, you know, listen to this podcast and, you know, know me and know who I am when I watch, you know, sports, but I think there's a lot of reasons to be pleased with the way the Patriots played yesterday. Now, not everything should please you. I mean, I think, obviously, the way the game started was probably the worst way you could start. You know, and I think it was one of those starts where it's like, okay, can't get much worse, you know. And obviously, things got worse with the Patriots uh, having a uh, pick six that happened and then a fumble that the Eagles turned into six points. You know, before you knew it, it was 16 nothing, And it was like, okay, you know, this is a very good Eagles team that will take advantage of your mistakes. And, you know, that's what happened early. You know, you can say whatever you want, the weather, rain, and, you know, slippery fingers or whatever. You know, not an excuse, obviously. But I think... It did, I think, for a lot of people, followed a similar script to last season where, you know, the Patriots would struggle early, put themselves in a hole, put themselves in a hole, get back into the game, not quite be able to, you know, make enough plays at the end to be able to get the win. Um, But I think the positives for me, I think, one of the first things that I noticed was all the rookies that the Patriots put into, you know, big roles yesterday. 
you know, I think specifically with the offensive line, with the news that, you know, Cole Strange, Mike Owenu were not going to be available for this game. You know, Patriots throw in two rookies immediately with um, Mafi at left guard. And um, I don't know why this was, why I was struggling to remember who the two guys were. But no, it was Mafi at left guard and City Sow at right guard. And I think for the most part, did a pretty good job. You know, I think that there were times that they struggled. You know, the running game didn't really get going in this game. So I think that, you know, there's some work to be done there. Had some sacks, had some penalties. But I think for the most part, like, they held up pretty good. You know, Keon White was, I think, a difference maker for some plays in the first half. You know, Marte Mapu got into the, I think it was uh, part of the defensive group defensive package that was in there on the Eagles' first offensive possession. You know, Demario Douglas looked uh, like he'd been playing in the NFL for five years. You know, you would not even, you, you'd barely notice that he was a rookie. You know, that was what was so interesting to me. You know, he may have gotten a catch on the first or second drive, but it was like, okay, like this guy is a NFL receiver in his first game, and it's very clear to see. You know, I think Keishon Booty obviously had those plays where he couldn't get his feet in bounds, you know, which was tough, but, you know, he got into the game, got in some snaps, and I think, you know, the rookie that probably played the best was Christian Gonzalez. Now, I know, sure, he gave up some receptions, you know, that's going to happen with the Eagles and how good their receivers are, but I thought for the most part, like, he played a very good game. You know, I think there were a couple times where maybe he, maybe he overran the receiver, you know, in coverage or after the catch was made, but he got a sack, got a huge pass breakup at the end of the game that gave the Patriots the opportunity to try to go win the game, you know. And I think there was another play where he came up from his cornerback spot and made a stop in the running game. Um, and I think, you know, sure, as as it goes with many rookies, they're going to be bumps and bruises. But I think you think about all those rookies that I mentioned, you know, all of them getting into the game, kind of playing a somewhat of a decent role. I think it's a good sign. You know, I think it's a good sign that, okay, you're missing Devonte Parker, you know, one of your top receivers, arguably maybe your top receiver and missing two of your better offensive linemen. And you still were fine. You know, the, Eagles only sacks came in the second half. I think both of them came in the fourth quarter and it was like, okay, yes, they were big moments in the game, but you know, it's hard not to be pleased with how they played. And I know that it's frustrating because again, they couldn't finish at the end of the game despite having an opportunity. But it's like, one of the things I was thinking about while watching this game was, if you remember a lot of games last year, that the Patriots would play against maybe an upper echelon team, you know, or a team that had a really good record. There were a lot of games where they would stay around, but they would really only stay around because their defense played well. You know, the offense kind of would, would sputter, kick a lot of field goals, and the defense kind of had to expend a lot of energy to get the team into the game. This game didn't really feel like that. 
this game felt a little bit different with the way that the offense was able to move the ball, the way that Mac Jones was able to throw three touchdown passes, throw for 300 yards. I don't think there are many games in his career where he's put up that many yards, that many touchdowns. And so it felt like it wasn't one of those games where the offense gave you nothing. This was a game where the offense, you know, gave you something, you know, was able to take advantage of the defense playing really well after that first quarter, getting those two touchdowns in the second quarter, getting back into the game. You know, I think that, yes, the Eagles built an early lead, but the Patriots, you know, rather quickly got right back into the game. And I think it's something to be pretty pleased with. You know, defensively, Jalen Hurts really didn't hurt them all that much. You know, yes, he was able to scramble out and escape on some third downs, but, you know, 22 for 33 for 170 yards, you're going to take that every single time. When we had, I think, 36 rushing yards, you're going to take that every single time. And so I think it's encouraging how well the defense played and then how well the offense was able to kind of get back into the game. Now, obviously, there were some things that didn't go well. You know, I think with the early turnovers, the early hole the team put themselves in, that can't happen, obviously. But I think fighting back against a team that I think is the most talented team they're going to play all year, I think just thinking about top to bottom good teams that they're going to play. I think the Eagles are the best team they're going to play. Now, it's not ideal that they had to play them the first game, but if you play this well against a team that's probably the best team you're going to play this year, you know, a team that I think is one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl, you know, you're going to take that, and you're going to take that no matter what the game looks like. Um, And I know that it's easy to look at games like the game like this and think, Okay, it's the same thing from last year. Big, big hole, you know, couldn't make up the deficit, came up short in the final minutes. And I think, you know, something that I think a lot of us as Patriot fans are still getting used to is the fact that this game really is won in the margins. In a lot of games that are like this, you know, one possession games, games where it really can go either way. And I think the the tough part is, I think, for 20 years, with how successful, you know, the Brady, Belichick, Patriots were, the Patriots were winning a lot of those games in the margin. You know, and you could argue a great majority of those games, they won in, you know, those late game situations. You know, how many times... Did Tom Brady lead late game comebacks? How many times did they win huge playoff games, Super Bowls, and things like that? And so I think we we came to expect that. And now that I think it's just the margins now, it's like, okay, you're on the other side of that now. You're now, you know, the, the plays are not being made like they used to. And look, it's hard to expect that. It's impossible to expect that. You know, it's impossible to expect that you're going to continue to win games the same way that you used to. And I think that's just what we're seeing, you know. I think it's kind of just things evening out. Like, I think 
for so many years, the Patriots were able to win games by the thinnest of margins. And now it's like it's the opposite. You know, now they're losing games. Now they're seeing this is what the other side looks like. And so I think that's what's hard for a lot of fans where it's like we saw it had it so good for so long. And I think people think that that's normal and think that, you know, a team should be a Super Bowl contender three, four years after your best player leaves. And it's just winning in the NFL is a lot harder than people think. And I think because Brady was here, it was it felt easier. You know, it didn't feel, you know, yeah, it felt felt easier. And that's just not how it's going now. And I think it's kind of unfair to expect that. I think that some people still do. And I think that that's why there are a lot of people that are still kind of more negative about this team. But I think, again, it's hard to look at that game and say, or it's, it's hard to not look at that game and be, you know, pleased with how they play and excited about what this team can do because it's like, okay, there were some things offensively that didn't go their way. You know, with some turnovers, the running game didn't really get going. But Mac Jones looked good, and I think you can be excited about what this offense can do uh, because I think it's miles away much better than what they had last year. And so I think having more confidence in the offense is going to help this team. And I do think that, you know, if they limit the, the mistakes, they can beat the Dolphins this week. I really don't think it's that crazy to think that they can beat them. Yes, the Dolphins put up a lot of points and a lot of yards, but as we'll take a look at in a little bit, there are definitely some things you can take advantage of uh, with that team. But I think it's a good effort by this team. And I think, yeah, we've heard the phrase over the last, you know, 12 hours or whatever it is, moral victories. And, you know, I think it's, it's tough that the Patriots have kind of had to settle for those types of games that, you know, okay, you feel good, but you didn't win. And it's like, that's kind of where it comes back to the margins thing, where it's like, okay, like, had it so good for so long, but, you know, you're not going to be lucky enough to win these games forever. You know, things are going to change. You know, you're not going to be able to win the same way that you used to for so long. You know, and it is ironic that, you know, you're honoring Tom Brady yesterday the exact player that made all those games in the margins feel like it was like you were going to win every single game you played. And it was a shock when you lost a game. And I think people kind of still operate under that where they kind of still believe the Patriots are, you know, should be this invincible team. And it's just, it's not going to happen. It's really never going to happen again. I hate to say that, but that's kind of just how it goes. So, you know, I thought it was neat that they were able to honor Tom. You know, I think having another celebration in June for when he gets inducted into the Team Hall of Fame will be really fun. Um, but I think, you know, some positives, some things that I think didn't go great. You know, I think uh, definitely it's the limiting mistakes. And I know that's easier said than done, but... Um, I think kind of moving into thinking about this Dolphins game um, is, I think, for the Patriots to establish the run. 
Um, and I think that's something that I'm looking looking to see if they can do this week because they really weren't able to do much of that um, yesterday, you know, having to throw the ball Mac Jones with 54 uh, pass attempts, which I think was his career high. So, you know, I think the Patriots would like to be able to run the ball a little bit more effectively. Um, and I think that they should be able to, uh, to be quite honest. I think... I think... Um, sorry, I was just looking at the win probability that they have on the ESPN analytics. Um, so I think they should be able to establish the run and should be able to run the ball effectively against the Dolphins. Yes, the Dolphins won, you know, and we'll talk about their game later in the podcast. Uh, they won yesterday 36-34 over the Chargers. Yes, you know, their offense played really, really well. You know, ironically, it was similar to how the Patriots played. They couldn't, the Dolphins yesterday, didn't really run the ball effectively. Obviously, they were able to pass the ball effectively. But the Dolphins allowed 234 yards on the ground yesterday. And I think if the Dolphins' defense is going to be anywhere near that porous, the Patriots should be able to control this game on offense. And I think, should they limit the turnovers that they have, and they had yesterday, uh, there's a good there's a good reason to believe the Patriots could put up a lot of points in this game. Um, and I know it's just one game, but I think the Patriots performed pretty well against a pretty elite offense yesterday. And yes, the Dolphins, I think, when they're fully healthy at their best, they are an elite offense. But you look at that team, you know, the Patriots played that. I know that that was week one last year, but the Patriots did a decent job defensively in that game, if you remember, you know, only allowing the Dolphins to score 20 points. Um, and one of the touchdowns was a defensive touchdown. So I think if the defense can play the way it did and the offense can establish the run, limit the turnovers, the Patriot, Patriots should be able to win this game. Um, and I think going back to kind of the moral victory thing, I think that there are games where it's okay to feel like you have a moral victory. And that I'm not trying to say that I believe in moral victories and say like, oh, every loss should, you should be taking a positive out of it. But I will say, I think you learn a lot more about yourself when you lose versus when you win. And I think the Patriots will be able to kind of go back to the film room and be able to work on some things. And I think should feel confident that they can beat this Dolphins team. Um, because it is a division matchup, and I know that, yes, the Dolphins appear to be unbeatable, but, you know, the Patriots historically have done a pretty good job against Tyreek Hill, and, you know, yes, Tua has beaten the Patriots in all the games that he started, but I don't think his numbers are great. You know, I don't think he played particularly well last year uh, in that one game against the Patriots, so... I do think the Patriots can win. I don't think it's crazy, but to finish a thought on the moral victories, I think if you want to, you know, use that, it's fine to use it for certain games. I think especially for a game like yesterday where it's week one against one of the, if not the best team in the league, you know, but I think this game against the Dolphins, no excuses for, or no moral victories or any of that because... The division games are the most important, and I think 
you know, this is a game the Patriots need to have. So they really cannot afford to turn the ball over like they did yesterday because the Dolphins, you know, are a pretty good offensive team and they could take advantage of, you know, getting good field position. So um, you hope the Patriots turnovers can be down um, and they can control the game offensively. And I think, you know, limit the turnovers, establish the run game. You know, there's no reason to think they can't win this game. I'm kind of surprised that um, ESPN Analytics has the Dolphins um, percentage to win at 61%. That seems really high. I think the Patriots have definitely have a chance to win. Um, and I know that Tua had a great game yesterday, but Chargers are not a great defensive team. You know, and I think the Patriots are going to be better equipped to face this Dolphins team. Um, and I think offensively, there's no reason to think that they can't have another monster game, you know, with the Dolphins yesterday allowing 462 yards. That's not a misprint. They allowed that many yards last yesterday. So reason to believe the Patriots can take advantage of that. So for that reason, I think I like the Patriots to win this game. Um, I think they're going to do enough defensively, um, be able to kind of, I don't want to say contain Tyreek Hill, but do the best they can to keep him in front of them. You know, that's kind of the thing that they've usually been able to do, that they don't let him beat them over the top. So, you know, I think look for John Jones to get that matchup with Tyreek Hill, Christian Gonzalez, see how he does against Jalen Waddle or whoever he gets to match up with. But I think also this Patriots defensive line had a good game yesterday, and I think that the Dolphins, with some injuries that they have, the Patriots could be able to take advantage of that, you know, get some pressure on Tua and finally get a win in a game that he starts. Um, so I think Patriots win. I think we're looking at a kind of similar score to last to yesterday. Um, 28-24 um, is going to be what I think for the Patriots. I think that they get it done, even the record, and, you know, go into a huge game with the uh, New York Jets uh, the following weekend. So... Should be a good game. You know, I think just to finish the Patriots thought, I think okay to be upset about the loss, but I think also okay to feel good about where this team is offensively. And I think, you know, you can be positive that there's a good chance that they can beat the Dolphins this week. Um, I really wouldn't put it past them. But that said... Patriots really can't afford to be starting 0-2 going into that Jets game. So I think they really need to have this game um, or else maybe looking a little little ugly. But we'll see what happens. Patriots, Dolphins next Sunday night, um, 8-20 start on NBC Sunday Night Football at Gillette. So I think that's going to do it. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the revolution and boys there, well, I would say that there is a lot of news. There's still some stuff that we don't really know. Um, but we do know that Bruce Arena has uh, resigned as uh, coach and sporting director of the Revolution um, amid his amid the uh, investigation into allegations that he made insensitive and inappropriate remarks. Um, so he had been on administrative leave uh, for six weeks 
not a lot of uh, details have come out, um, but we do know that he is stepping away, or stepping down, I should say. Um, and so, there was a statement that he made that I thought it didn't really give away many details, but, you know, talking about spending time to reflect on the situation, taking corrective steps to address what transpired. Um, so, you know, again, I don't think there's really much to talk about here, you know, other than he's no longer going to be involved with the organization, which, you know, obviously is, is a tough break for the team because, there's seven games to go before the playoffs, and the team is, you know, smack dab in the playoff chase in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, the timing obviously is not ideal. I don't want to make light of the, the, the investigation um, because obviously it's very serious. And I think, you know, anytime there are allegations of things like that, you have to take it seriously. So, you know, I think, though, it is fair to kind of reserve judgment until we know the entire story because we really don't know the entire story and I think it's kind of too bad that we don't know anything and you know I don't know if it's really our place to know uh, before like an investigation is complete but um, you know here's hoping we can figure out what exactly transpired but maybe we won't and you know that's just going to be it but you know kind of a, a tough 24 hours for the revs you know, tie drawing with Minnesota, uh, very similar to the um, Austin game in which the Revs allow the tying goal in the final minutes, final seconds of the game. So, no, that was kind of difficult for the team, but, you know, you hope that they're able to kind of move forward um, with, you know, a resolution of some sort, you know, at least that this, you know, matter has resolved itself, I guess. Um, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if the team plays any different, you know, I think that they've been playing okay. I think since they came back from the League's Cup, um, one win, two draws, and one loss, um, you know, I think a lot of player movement, you know, as we talked about last week, a lot of guys kind of coming to and from um, this team. I think still awaiting Tomas Vaslik, the uh, goal goalkeeper from the Czech Republic, um, who should take over at some point. Um, Earl Edwards has played the last couple of games. Revs uh, do expect Henry Kessler uh, to return to the team soon, uh, as he is re recovering from um, a hamstring injury that he suffered, I think, back in the spring. So he getting closer to return, you know, which is huge. Um, and I think you know, continuing to get some of the newer guys involved. You know, Ian Harks, Nacho Heel, uh, Mark Anthony Kay, and um, I'm forgetting him, uh, Sean Galai uh, from Argentina. So a couple games recently for those three guys in particular. You know, it does look like Vrioni is getting a little bit more comfortable, kind of looking like a, a really solid attacking player. Um, and Carlos Heels, Carlos Heel, just unbelievable to watch. Had a great goal, uh, got a great assist from his brother. 
um, on Saturday night. So that was good to see. Would have been nice to see the Revs get another goal, um, but they weren't able to. And then Minnesota, you know, kind of just throwing everything um, at the Revolution in those last, you know, 20 or so minutes, getting the getting the tying goal in like the last seconds of the game. You know, it's just tough to see. It was exciting, though, for the Revolution to get Tommy McNamara back on the field. Um, he's missed almost the entire season, so it was good to kind of get him back. And, you know, Gustavo Bo missing some time recently uh, with uh, some sort of injury, but the Revs hope he can kind of return um, by the time the playoffs roll around. Um, and I think trying to just get that attacking rhythm you know, setting those guys up for the success that they can have, hopefully, uh, the rest of the season and into the playoffs. I mean, I think the Revs probably would like to kind of get a bit of a rhythm going um, as the play has been kind of uneven in the last couple of games. Uh, the Revs will remain on the road. They will play uh, the Colorado Rapids this Saturday night, and then they will finish the road trip next Saturday um, in Chicago against the Fire. So as it stands right now, well, as it stands right now, the Revolution with seven games to go, and have a one-point lead on second place in the East ahead of Orlando. They are nine points back of FC Cincinnati. So we'll see how the Revs can do continues, continuing on this road trip uh, this week. So I think that that's probably going to do it for. Um, our little Revs conversation. We hope that they can kind of score uh, some more goals in the next couple of games as they play a Colorado team that is at the bottom of the standings in the West and the Chicago Fire that are near the bottom of the standings in the East. So hopefully the Revs can take advantage of those two games uh, before they return home. Uh, on the last day of September when they host Charlotte FC. So I think that will do it. We're going to move on to the Red Sox. Um, and, you know, I think we can definitely admit that this team is not going to the playoffs and, you know, kind of just focus on the younger guys and the guys who are getting opportunities. And there were some young guys yesterday that got some good opportunities. Uh, Tristan Casas hitting a three-run home run. Brian Bayo pitching five innings, getting the win. Um, so both of them with quality outings um, for quality games as Bayo uh, pitches to his 12th win of the season, giving up seven hits and three earned runs in five innings, striking out four. Um, and then Casas hitting his 24th home run of the season, a three-run shot in the sixth inning. So he just continues um, to just knock the cover off the ball um, in the second half of the season. Um, so that's been really exciting to see him, you know, continuing to just play great baseball. I think that, yes, sure, defensively, it's not it's not been perfect. Um, he's had a lot of issues this year, but I think ideally you want to see him teeing off at the plate, and that's what he's been doing really since the first month of the season. I know we keep, you know, we keep talking about it, but I think it's it's fair to be pretty impressed with what he's been able to do. Uh, hitting his 24th home run should be able to hit 
25 or more uh, before the end of the season with the Red Sox having uh, 19 games to go. So Red Sox losing two out of three to the Orioles. Uh, Chris Sale got lit up on Saturday. And, um, you know, I think as kind of said last week, I think the time has clearly passed for the Red Sox to be using Chris Sale as one of their top starters. You know, I think that if he's going to return to the team next year, they need to have a better plan. You know, he cannot be, in my opinion, can't be anything better than a third starter. I think that's just how it needs to be right now. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can acquire, you know, a big-time starter, a number one or a number two, you know, to pair with Brian Bayo. I think Sale can be that third guy that isn't relied upon to be that ace, which is the problem, I think, that's happened over the last two years that they've relied on him to be a number one starter, and you just can't do that anymore. So, you know, I think that that part's kind of just disappointing, but, you know, I think it's exciting to see some of your youngsters doing well. Sidane Raphael, I got into the game yesterday, was 0 for 4, uh, did score a run, did steal a base, made a great couple of good defensive plays in center field, and I think, you know, the Red Sox are hoping that he can be that next guy in center field, you know, it'd be interesting to see going into spring training, what the Red Sox plan is going to be in the outfield, because they think, you know, Duvall's on a one-year deal, can't see him coming back. And, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with Alex Verdugo. And I think with Rafaela, with Duran, you know, are those two guys that the Red Sox could put in the outfielder or in the outfield, um, acquire another one, because I think, you know, may or may not be the best idea to have Yoshida um, in the outfield considering some of his defensive deficiencies. Um, but I think, you know, clearly there are going to have to be a lot of decisions uh, made for this team. You know, I think you have some guys that are trying to work their way back from injury, but I think really as we kind of whittle down to the end of the season, it's about paying attention to these young guys and, you know, seeing which guys can make a difference, which guys are going to you know, kind of build some momentum going into uh, spring training. So, you know, a win for the Red Sox yesterday, as we said, 19 games to go. The team is six games back in the wild card chase. So I think that it's a fair time to pack it in for this team. Uh, they had a four-game set against the Yankees starting um, tonight at Fenway. You know, that's really kind of the thing to pay attention to. Do the Red Sox finish ahead of the Yankees? You know, that's kind of the last thing that could kind of be interesting to see. Red Sox and Yankees, I believe, playing their final uh, series of the season um, this week at Fenway. Cutter Crawford going tonight against Clark Schmidt. As we mentioned, Red Sox with 19 games to go. So this is the final series the Red Sox will have against the Yankees this year, and then they will travel to uh, Toronto and to Texas for the next two series. Um, it does sound like Nick Pavetta will get back into the Red Sox rotation. I think he had pitched recently on Wednesday against Tampa Bay. And so he will start again on Tuesday against the Yankees. James Paxton 
uh, being shut down for the rest of the season with knee inflammation. He had missed, I think, his scheduled start this weekend. So um, a tough end to the season for him. You know, I think at times he had pitched well for the Red Sox. Very curious to see if he returns. I'd be surprised, uh, you know, given the, the injuries and the age. But I thought for times this year, you know, I think especially when the Red Sox were down, you know, two starting pitchers, he, along with Bayo and Crawford, you know, pitched fairly well for a period of time. So, you know, Paxton can still pitch, but I think the Red Sox are going to need to rely upon, you know, younger pitchers, you know, not Paxton and Corey Kluber, you know, whenever he works his way back to Fenway. It'd be interesting to see if that um, happens before the end of the season. So, you know, yeah, I think for the Red Sox, it's maybe potentially playing spoiler to Toronto and Texas, the two teams that they'll play over the next uh, week plus. Uh, but, you know, first four games set with the Yankees, see if the Red Sox can finish ahead of them, which might be, you know, worth watching if you're going to watch any more Red Sox this season. You know, if you haven't and you've given up on baseball and you've made the switch to football, well, you know, you can stick with that. But uh, Red Sox-Yankees starting tonight, 7-10, four games this week at Fenway. So I think that that's going to do it for uh, talking about the Red Sox. You know, I kind of wish we had more to talk about with this team, but I think, you know, with the limited games they have left and, you know, not making the playoffs, there's not a whole lot to talk about with this team. You know, I think that, Certainly, there are positives that you can look for with, you know, Casas and Bayo. You know, Bayo probably starting at least a couple more games before the end of the season. See how many home runs Casas can end up with. Um, you know, as he kind of builds himself into uh, next uh, or into the off season. But I think, you know, there there needs to be like big things that happen this off season, or I think there are some people that might be losing their jobs. Um, you know, I think it's the off season is very critical for the Red Sox. And I think, you know, it's like really addressing the things that you need to address and improving the things you need to improve. Um, you know, no more half measures, you know, they really need to go for it and improve this team. Um, you know, if they want to be back to being a legitimate contender, um, in the American League. So we will move on, talk a little bit of Bruins. As we mentioned, the uh, Bruins have a have their prospect challenge um, that they will play this this uh, this coming weekend in Buffalo. Um, the Bruins will play play their or have their eighth consecutive appearance at the Prospect Challenge in Buffalo. Uh, the Bruins prospects will play against prospects from the Sabres, the Canadians, the Devils, Senators, and the Penguins in a round-robin tournament. So the roster, I think, will be released at some point this week, so definitely look out for that. You know, I think good chance that you will see some of the uh, rookies from this past draft I'll take a look at some of the names quickly if I can find them. Um, 
this will take this will take me a minute but i will figure it out <laughs> so i think i believe it was we'll see uh prospects from this year's draft Just quickly sort through the Bruins players. Yes, so here we go. Um, so you'll likely see some of the Bruins draft picks uh, from this year's draft draft class. Uh, Chris Pelosi, Beckett Hendrickson, Ryan Walsh, Casper Nason, Christian Kostadinsky, I believe I'm saying that right. Um, so those guys likely will be playing. Um, you know, you could see some guys from last year's draft class. Uh, Quatra, Cole Spicer, Frederick Brunet, Jackson Edward. You could see some of those guys, uh, but we won't have an official roster until later this week. So you can pay attention to that if you'd like, if you're one of those people that enjoy watching something like that. Um, but I think the Bruins will likely announce if you can stream uh, some of these games. I do remember streaming one of their games uh, from last year, so definitely be on the lookout for that. Uh, prospect Challenge starts on Friday, and then uh, we'll go into Monday of next week, and then two days after that, training camp opens up, so uh, we'll be kind of probably doing like a training camp preview uh, for you guys next week, so that will be something to look forward to. I'll just one bit of Bruins news that did come out last week. Uh, Bruins signing Danton Heinen to a PTO. Obviously, still ha obviously have um, Alex Chase on on a PTO as well. So Bruins adding to that, bringing back Heinen, who played for the Bruins uh, in 220 career games. Uh, as you may remember him as a fourth round pick of the Bruins in 2014. Had a career high in points in 2017-18 with 47 points, which was his rookie season. Had 34 goals in 220 career games. Uh, spent part of the last couple seasons with Anaheim and Pittsburgh. So, you know, I think nothing wrong with a PTO just to see what you can get. You know, I think Heinen at his best is a really solid two-way player, and I think you know, is someone that, you know, is an NHL guy, kind of an experienced guy that you can throw into that bottom six, you know, if he does make the roster, I think that's the biggest thing with the PTO. It's not a guarantee whether someone makes the roster or not. Uh, but I think he has a pretty good chance. I think just continue, just considering his past with the Bruins and his past with Jim Montgomery, uh, played for Montgomery at the University of Denver for a couple seasons. So, you know, I like the thought, you know, I think that he's a guy that could legitimately earn a third line spot. Because um, I think is a solid enough player. You know, I think the Bruins, me personally, when he left the Bruins, I would have liked him to find a little bit more of a scoring touch. But I think every other part of his game, he's a really smart player. I think has always been a guy that's been at the in the right place at the right time. So... You know, I think it's a he'd be a good guy to have around. I think especially if some of your younger prospects don't pop in camp the way that you would like them to. And I think then someone like Heinen, someone like Chason is, you know, kind of a safety valve that it's like, okay, 
if your younger guys don't work out, you have these guys who have been in the NHL and played for a couple of years. And I think, you know, I don't think there'll be any, like, players like Heinen, you know, blocking some of the younger guys. I mean, I think if a younger guy outplays the PTO guys, then they'll make the roster. You know, it's not like, you know, it's guaranteed a roster spot for Heinen, for Chase on. It's like they have to, you know, show that they can that they can play. You know, it's not just going to be their guaranteed roster spot. And I think that they know that. But I think, you know, people also have to keep in mind with the team and the cap situation that they're in, this is kind of what they had to do this offseason, you know, is find value in some of these guys. And I think, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be this season. But I do think that, you know, they're still going to have a pretty good team. You know, I think any team with the goaltending that the Bruins have, Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, David Bosternock, Brad Marchand, you're going to have a good team. I don't really understand people thinking that they're not going to be a playoff team. I think that that's a little bit extreme, but, you know, we'll see. Bruins do open up their preseason schedule on the 24th against the Rangers, which is a Sunday night, and it, it is soon. So that will be interesting to see. But, yeah, we'll talk more about this team, kind of a training camp preview for you next week. Um, Bruins also will, later this week, announce their uh, 100th, or they will announce their all-centennial team, 100 of the greatest Bruins players to ever play. may have noticed on some social media that Milan Lucic and Charlie McAvoy are part of that all-centennial team, so that will be something to look out for. I think that team uh, will get released this week, so you can uh, be on the lookout for that, as well as the Bruins, I think, also. And they'll be unveiling some new jerseys later this week as well to celebrate the centennial season, so just some little Bruins things to look forward to uh, for the next couple of weeks. So I think... That's probably going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics. Uh, just take another brief look at their preseason schedule. Uh, Sunday, October 8th, they will open up against the Sixers. Um, then they will play games against the Knicks and the Hornets. And then the season opener is October 25th against the Knicks. Um, so the Celtics obviously... Uh, training camp will be coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, the Celtics signing uh, Taylor Funk to uh, a training camp contract. Uh, played for Utah State and St. Joe's in college. So he will compete for a, a two-way deal or compete for a roster spot uh, for the Celtics. So he... Um, is averaged last season, averaged 12 points and five rebounds playing for St. Joe's. Um, a pretty good shooter, I think. You may remember him from um, leading Utah State um, to an upset in the NCAA tournament. So good size, good shooting for him. You know, he's 6'8 and can shoot, you know, kind of similar to Mikhail Luke, who they signed to a one-year deal last week, 
Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if he uh, does enough in training camp to earn a roster spot. So, yeah, that's kind of it for a quick, you know, little update on the Celtics. Um, I think, you know, kind of be interesting to pay attention to kind of those end of the roster spots and, you know, don't expect those guys to really make an impact. You know, this is a Celtics team that I think is kind of just going to be, I don't want to say top heavy, but I think, you know, usually it's kind of going to be an eight or nine guy rotation. You know, maybe there's a little bit more in, um, in the regular season, you know, certainly in the preseason, there are going to be guys that are going to get um, a lot of time, but I think preseason five games, just looking to, to get right uh, before the season, you know, and I think it is a long season and I think, you know, trying to work out what you have um, in terms of your bench, you know, is going to be interesting to see uh, because I think the Celtics, you know, their big guys are going to be their big guys, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, uh, Derek White, you know, Horford, Rob Williams, but it's kind of figuring out after that, okay, who are those next guys that are going to kind of maybe get a larger role than what they had last year. So that will be something to pay attention to uh, as we get closer to uh, preseason and the regular season for the Celtics. So I think that that's going to do it for a little uh, Celtics update. We're going to go through some um, NFL games from yesterday. Uh, just some notes before we get to that. The Ravens, um, J.K. Dobbins carrying his Achilles yesterday, another season-ending injury for uh, the Ravens running back, who's missed a lot of time throughout his career uh, with various injuries. And the Cowboys with a huge win over the Giants, 40 to nothing last night, uh, quote-unquote, putting the league on notice. So I think starting with that game, that was, you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about with this game. Uh, just a, a thorough domination of the... Uh, Giants by the Cowboys who win 40 to nothing. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It was, I felt like the game, this game started very similar to how the Patriots Eagles game started. Um, and I just was very relieved the Patriots could get back into the game and didn't lose a game like this. Um, so the Cowboys get the win, huge defensive game. Uh, the offense really didn't have to do too much in this game. They got a blocked field goal or blocked. Was a blocked field goal. I think it was a blocked field goal or blocked punt that they returned for a touchdown. Defense had seven sacks. Um, Tony Pollard did have two touchdowns, but the Cowboys really putting this game away with defense. Um, as we go uh, way back for the first game on Thursday, the Lions beating the Chiefs 21 to 20. A really good opening season win for the Lions, who get the win against the Chiefs on the road. Chiefs obviously without Travis Kelsey in this game, and it showed um, a lot of drop passes by the Chiefs wide receivers. Uh, so the Lions get the win. be interesting to see how the Chiefs go forward um, and, you know, approach or work with Kelsey's injury, see if he gets back onto the field in week two. And the Falcons beating the Panthers 24-10. Bryce Young's debut had two interceptions for the Panthers. Bijan Robinson had a touchdown in his debut for the Falcons. Um, so Falcons win 24 to 10 in their home opener. 
the Browns winning their home opener 24-3 over the Bengals. Just a dominant defensive performance. Nick Chubb at 100 yards. So a dominant win for the Browns in their season opener 24-3. Jaguars get their first win on the road 31-21 over the Colts. Two touchdown passes for Trevor Lawrence, including one to Calvin Ridley. Rushing touchdown for Travis Etienne. Jags uh, taking control. Um, in the fourth quarter for the win. The Buccaneers outlasting the Vikings 20-17. Baker Mayfield with a touchdown pass to Mike Evans gets a win in the post-Tom Brady era, so good road win for the Bucks in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins, 344 yards and two touchdowns in the loss. The Saints able to successfully run out the clock, beat the Titans yesterday 16-15, to uh, not a lot of offense in this game, but Derek Carr throwing his first touchdown pass, getting 300 yards passing, and the Saints get their first win of the season in their home opener. The 49ers thrashing the Steelers 30-7 in Pittsburgh yesterday. Just a complete dominant win for the uh, 49ers. Brandon Ayuk with two touchdowns receiving. Christian McCaffrey with a 65-yard touchdown run. Uh, easy, easy win for the 49ers in there. Uh, in, in in their opener. The Commanders beating the Cardinals 20-16. Sam Howell rushing for the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter. Commanders get their home get a win in their home opener over the Cardinals. The Ravens with three rushing touchdowns. Two by Justice Hill uh, is enough to beat the Texans 25-9. CJ Stroud 242 yards passing in his debut. The Packers beating up on the Bears, 38-20. Quay Walker with a pick six. Jordan Love, three touchdown passes. And the Packers dominate the Bears in this one to get their season opening win. Jimmy G and the Raiders with a close one, a close win against the Broncos yesterday. 17-16 old friend Jacoby Myers with two receiving touchdowns in this game. The Dolphins, as we mentioned, uh, doing enough to outlast the Chargers. 36-34, three touchdowns for Tua, two, Tyree, two touchdown passes to Tyree Kill, who had 215 yards receiving in this game. And then the Rams beating the Seahawks, 30-13. Matthew Stafford, over 300 yards in this game. Kyron Williams with two rushing touchdowns for the Rams. They get their first win of the season. So some interesting games uh, yesterday. And then to cap off week one, you got the Bills and the Jets tonight, 8-15 um, at MetLife Stadium. So that will be an interesting Monday night football game uh, to round out week one. And then week two gets started with the Vikings and the Eagles on Thursday night. So I think that that's going to do it for our NFL. Uh, going to recap, go around. Uh, so we'll get to some baseball. The Yankees hitless until the 11th inning, able to beat the Brewers in a walk-off in the 13th inning. The Angels are open to Mike Trout, a Mike Trout trade if he asks out Kyle Tucker with two triples. Um, in an inning, the first time that's occurred since 1961. And the Braves 
the first team in the in the playoffs as they clinch their sixth straight postseason uh, berth as they clinch the playoffs, becoming the first team to clinch a playoff spot this season. And the Royals are the first team, or the Royals, I should say, first team to 100 losses this season as the Jays sweep them. So we'll take a look at the standings here. Um, the Orioles winning two out of three at Fenway this weekend. So they have a three-game lead over Tampa Bay for first place in the American League East. I think 18 games to go for the Rays, 20 games to go for Baltimore. So Orioles in good position. In the Central, the Twins taking control. Now a seven and a half game lead over Cleveland for first place in the Central. The Astros on top of the American League West, a two and a half game lead over Seattle. In the National League, the Braves obviously clinched. 15-game lead over Philadelphia. They have 93 wins and 49 losses so far this season. The Brewers with a three-game lead over the Cubs for first place in the National League Central. And then the Dodgers, clear favorites in the NL West with a 13-game lead over the Diamondbacks. In the wildcard chase, things are interesting in the American League. Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Seattle in those wildcard spots with Texas just a half game back in the National League. Phillies, Cubs, and Brewers, or no, excuse me, Phillies, Cubs, Diamondbacks with the wild card spots with the Marlins a half game back and the Giants and the Reds both a game and a half back. So things are getting interesting in the wild card chases in both, uh, both leagues with about 20 games to go for a number of teams. So I think that's going to do it for our MLB update, get to some NHL. Um, Andrew Ladd retiring from the NHL after 16 seasons, played primarily for the Blackhawks, won a, couple, won a couple cups in Chicago. The Lightning signing Tyler Mott to a contract. Chris Chelios will have his number seven retired by the Blackhawks. And uh, Dustin Brown among five players or among five people, I should say, um, elected into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, Jamie Langenbrenner, also a part of this class, as he is currently the um, assistant general manager for the Bruins, has worked um, in the front office since 2015. So exciting honor for, for Jamie there. So get to some NBA notes. Uh, some basketball notes. The FIBA World Cup wrapped up this weekend with Germany taking home gold. Team USA losing to Canada in the third place game. So Team USA uh, will go home medalless for the second straight World Cup. Um, and, you know, it's so funny. Not, not so soon after that, there is uh, some reports that um, LeBron James, among others, are eyeing a return or not, not a return, I shouldn't say, but they're eyeing uh, the Paris Olympics um, in 2024. Could have something to do with Team USA not uh, meddling in the FIBA World Cup, but we'll see. So it sounds like he's trying to get some guys to compete for 2024 in the Olympics. I think 
really, other than the FIBA stuff, not a whole lot to to talk about Germany beating Serbia in the gold medal game. Uh, old friend Dennis Schroeder playing a part in Germany's uh, run to the gold medal. So NBA preseason coming up in a few weeks. Celtics obviously coming up in a few weeks as well, but uh, pretty quiet um, in the NBA right now as teams start to fill out their training camp rosters um, and get ready for the upcoming season. So I'll give you just some a quick update on the college football rankings before uh, I'll let you guys go. Um, Georgia and Michigan remain on top in the AP Top 25. Uh, Texas, after a win over Alabama, jump all the way to number four in the rankings. Florida State at number three, USC at number five. And then the rest of the top ten, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington, Notre Dame, and then Alabama have four teams in the top 25 that were unranked coming into the week. Miami, Washington State, UCLA, and Iowa, all 22 to 25. So, actually, before we let you guys go, I want to wish a special happy birthday to two former Red Sox players. Uh, first to Jacoby Ellsbury, who uh, turns 40 years old today. Uh, pretty hard to believe that he's 40 years old. It just is so funny to remember him on that, specifically that 2007 championship team and just how young he looked. Um, so it is his birthday today, 40 years old. I uh, was born in Oregon, is a one-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion once with, actually both times with the Red Sox in 2007 and 2013 also has a Silver Slugger award as well. Hit 284 for his career. May remember from that large contract that he got from the uh, Yankees. Had kind of injuries that derailed the rest of his career after going there um, and only playing a couple years with the Yankees. And then the other birthday today, uh, another former Red Sox, Ellis Burks, turns 59 today. It was a, an original draft pick of the Red Sox in 1983 and played the beginning part of his career with the Red Sox from 1987 to 1992 and then made his way back to the Red Sox um, in 2004, appearing in 11 games for that Red Sox team. does have a World Series ring. So Ellis is a two-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger, um, and also won a gold glove. So happy birthday to both um, Ellis and Jacoby on this Monday. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, great to be back uh, talking football, talking Patriots. You know, tough loss yesterday, but hey, it's fun to be able to talk about uh, games that matter now. You know, I kind of was sick of talking about the preseason and, you know, things that may or may not happen, but now we have actual football uh, to break down and give to you guys. So hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back with Guest Friday later this week. So everyone enjoy the rest of your week.